Hello, and welcome to the show, Woke Up, uh, where we uh, amplify the stories of those who have given their life to the critical social justice movement and their energies and uh, the woke ideology that's very prevalent and uh, in many ways ubiquitous in our societies. And we have a, a wonderful guest on today, and uh, her name is Poplar Rose, and Poplar uh, describes himself as a, a witch, an herbalist, a doula, and has had a fascinating life. And Poplar has given themselves to the social justice movement since uh, their childhood and uh, and then had some bumps in the road and has a more mature view. And it's just going to be a wonderful story to hear from Poplar uh, more about her life. So Poplar, maybe you can uh, welcome to the show and thank you so much for coming on. And, and what I think would be helpful is to cast a vision for our audience of the extent of the social justice movement and the energy you've spent for well over a decade, even since your teenage years, and the things that you've been involved with to help the marginalized and the disenfranchised. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been drawn to service work for most of my life. Um, my mom was a social worker in the downtown east side. Um, my grandmother was a social worker also. So oh, just, just to interrupt real quick, uh, you're uh, calling in from British Columbia. So you're referring to Vancouver, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The downtown east side is like a very, um, it's called like the most impoverished postal code in North America. Um, it also has some really incre like incredible activism and harm reduction work that has come out of that community. Gabor Mate used to practice in that community. And um, yeah, I think ever since I was a kid, like my mom will say, like I was just, I was very concerned with things being fair. And I didn't understand why somebody had to sleep outside when other people had a big house. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, I did lots of different kinds of like volunteer work and different things. But when I was about 17, I went to, to Cambodia to live with my great aunt who is also very involved with service work. She's a missionary. She runs um, a AIDS hospice and it's for families and babies who have experienced HIV. She's been in Cambodia since before Pol Pot and she speaks Khmer. And so there's a lot of women in my family that are involved in that sort of often Christian service work, which I'm not Christian, but it's that, I think it's that sort of ethic that, um, that I grew up in and yeah. And then having a mom who was a social worker and my dad was involved in Greenpeace as a young person, you know, so I was raised by very like left-wing liberal parents. Um, and I became very involved in the environmental movement as a young person um, I was a volunteer coordinator for Greenpeace. I taught people how to do direct action. I shut down a mine in Alberta at the Shell Albion Sands. And I actually just read a book. There's a book in, um, we have something called CBC Reads, which is like, CBC is the Canadian version of BBC. And um, there's a book in CBC Reads, which is this competition that happens every year for the best, one of the best books in Canada. And there's a graphic novel called Ducks, which I just read and it actually talks about this. There's a picture of the direct action that I did in 2008 in this book. So 
you know, I think that a lot of that was happening at a time where climate change wasn't really on people's minds in the same way that it is now. I have a nephew who is a teenager who their first, his first protest was a hundred thousand people. You know, it's really changed. Wow. Yeah. It's it, it, at this time when I was doing social justice sort of, but I was really not involved as much with the social justice piece. I did environmentalism for many, many years. Um, and then that shifted more towards social justice work when I went back to university and I was in UBC at in a program called um, the Institute for Gender, Race, Sexuality and Social Justice. And then I did a minor in First Nation Studies. So it's always kind of been the worldview that I've been learning. Um, but also all of this was happening in my 20s and I'm in my mid 30s now. So a lot has changed since then, for sure. Yeah, one of the things that intrigued me, and uh, I heard a couple of your podcasts, you were a guest on Out of the Woods, where you go into significant detail about uh, the things you were involved with and and some of the things that happened to you on a personal level. And then there was this, uh, this other podcast that I was listening to. It's, it's called Effing Canceled. Yeah. And it's, and it's uh, by two... Uh, young Canadians, I say young because I'm 58, but they're younger and uh, they're definitely very strong leftists and mm -hmm. they're really speaking out strongly. Uh, the names are Clementine Morgan and Jay Lesolel and they, they're fascinating in the sense that they talk about this, uh, the issue uh, as they describe it in the social justice movement is what they describe as the nexus where it's the, the, the synthesis of uh identitarianism, social media, and cancel culture come together uh, and form this toxicity that's uh, negatively impacting the great work that many people are doing. And so they're speaking out against, uh, primarily against cancel culture because they themselves have been canceled. You yourself suffered tremendous uh, personal harm through cancellation. And so I would recommend that, that podcast uh, because there's wonderful guests and I think they're very progressive in their views and, and they also are, are looking for ways uh, for the left to become more cohesive as well as uh, uh, not causing so much harm to the, uh, to the individuals and discouragement. And so one of the things that where I originally found you as I was, you know, looking for potential guests, <clears throat> you had written a, a, a piece and you are an excellent writer, by the way. It's I just like the way you, <laughs> the way you write. <laughs> and uh, it's, it was entitled excommunicate me from the cult of toxic social justice. And I like the fact that you, you said you referred to it as a cult for one, but then you, you sp specifically put the word toxic in there and not just social justice, but toxic. And so that I think you're, you're defining, look, there's a toxicity here that needs to be dealt with. <clears throat> and you were inspired uh, as you, as you allude to in the article by uh, a queer Chinese American named Francis Lee, who's uh, an interfaith chaplain at Harvard Divinity School, and uh, and they had written uh, a similar piece, Excommunicate Me from the Church of Social Justice. And in yours, you outlined some of the things that you went through. And I just want to read uh, what impacted me about what you wrote. And you said here, in the process of promoting my course, Hawthorne Heart, Boundary Skills and Protection Magic, I have been attacked and pressured in a number of different ways online. People have told me to kill myself. They've told me that I'm a fraud, that my work is killing them. I've been asked, how dare you charge money for something that is so desperately needed? I've been told that I must give scholarships to someone or else I am oppressing them. While I have struggled with homelessness and meeting my needs, 
people have made posts saying that my work is a scam. They say they I am taking advantage of traumatized people that I am manipulating and I am stealing from people. When I have stepped into resolve conflict in the face group group, Facebook group attached to my course, my qualifications have been questioned and my words ridiculed. Folks have not taken the course uh, who were invited to join the group for free are often the harshest. I have been threatened and gaslit repeatedly, most implicitly, but explicitly too. I can't help but notice how often we try to get our needs met through critique. I can't help but notice how infrequently this actually works and how much lonelier this way of relating makes us. These conditions are not conductive to liberation or healing or deeply needed visionary leadership. These condi conditions are coercive and eerily similar to witch hunts. These conditions lead young visionaries to burn out, give up, and sometimes even kill themselves. These conditions have led me to want to kill myself. Yes, I spent most of this past winter battling suicidal ideation. I'm feeling more stable now. This is not restorative justice, which we deeply need, but largely don't know how to practice. This is lateral violence. I know I'm not the only one who is ready for something new. I know that me and my loved ones are not the only ones having hushed conversations, confessing to each other that we're scared to say in public, I'm done, I am done. And I'd like you to just turn this over to you because at that time uh, that led up to the pain that you suffered, you had started a significant Facebook group. You had a, a, a wonderful following. You were helping a lot of people. You had a flourishing business. And uh, you had spent a, an entire lifetime in social justice activism and making significant impact. And so if you could just take us through, like, and just open up and whatever level you feel comfortable, explain to us what happened and how something so wonderful got so derailed and so painful that led you to living alone in the woods for over a year. Yeah, so that article actually was written before I got canceled. Um, it was kind of... And I knew writing it that it was most likely going to lead to what it led to. Um, oh, so this was building within your within your soul. You were sensing something was was askew. Yeah, yeah. Like I had an I had an online business. Um, I've always done kind of different types of entrepreneurial work related to mostly herbalism and different types of magic. Because, like you said earlier, it's like yeah, I identify as a witch, spiritually, politically. And um, I taught and did different kinds of writing and like workshops and also like making herbal things. And um, the thing that really took off in my business was a class that I taught about boundaries, which is referred to in the article um, where I basically, it's, it was a 12 week course. And, um, and, you know, my business was making sort of like the very beginning of middle-class money. It was like the first time in my life where I was like starting to come out of living in something fairly close to poverty. At the same time when I was running my business, um, for a lot of that, I was living in a vehicle and I was living in a camper on the back of a truck. And, you know, I got canceled twice, two, two times, two weeks apart the first time by somebody who had been people who had been my friends. Um, and the main claim that they had was that I was too wealthy, which is really strange because I had a very similar class experience to them. Um, but people ultimately, I think were just very jealous of my success. And I think the same thing is definitely true of 
Clementine, who you're, who you've referred to, like Clementine and Jay and Molly are all friends of mine. And I think that they've all done some really incredible work to speak out on this and kind of like change the tides. But when I wrote this in 2018, it was a, it was a much less popular thing to be saying at that time, you know, at, at this time now, um, you can kind of change ships, you can kind of change your tune. And there's a whole world of people and community and power that's been built to make that be safer for you. And, and a lot of that is because of Clementine's leadership, I think. Yeah. Um, and we're very, very lucky to, to have her doing that. Um, we got canceled at a similar time and she, she really had the, the bravery and the tenacity to, to fight back and really, and she's built a following um, partially because she's very, very talented and works really, really hard. And also partially because she, she's chosen to take this stance that is very, very brave. And I didn't do that. I, I just couldn't hack it. Like I just went and hid in the woods. <laughs> Can you explain like, what is it, you know, because I think maybe a lot of people in our audience may not understand fully what you're saying about being canceled. Okay. They might have a concept, but what did that look like for you? You, uh, you had your business going and you're a leader, you're an influencer. And then you say you got canceled twice. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. So, I mean, at that time, my following was maybe about 5,000 people, which, you know, now I think we, we think of people with a successful online business as having, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50, a hundred thousand people. Um, but it looked different in 2018 because in 2018, more of your followers were being shown what you were doing. And, you know, this was my livelihood. It employed me. It also employed a few other people. And so the first time I got canceled, you know, somebody wrote, somebody wrote actually like a, it was an over a hundred page document and it was not just about me. And I think that that person um, ended up coming off seeming not totally mentally stable and it was hurtful because it was personal, but it didn't really do that much damage to, to my business or to my public persona. Um, the second time that I got canceled, there was a lot of lead up to, to this. And I, and I do talk about it more in, in Molly's podcast, so I won't um, totally hash it out now, but essentially I had, you know, I had a fairly active class and a fairly active Facebook group and I wanted to leave the Facebook group because it had at one point been fairly self-directed and was very active and had lots of people who were engaging in my class. And then suddenly some people and one person in particular came in and made every single conversation about race um, in ways that I tried to accommodate, but also felt I saw the group just dwindle, you know, like it just went from being very active, very supportive, people being really warm and helpful to each other to um, someone asking a question and being told the fact that you're asking that question is racist, you know, in a way that was like, uh, it was challenging to deal with. And so I decided I didn't want to run the Facebook group anymore. And what I should have done is just shut down the group. But instead I offered to have somebody else run it. And the person who had been making all of these comments decided that they wanted to be the new person running it. And for months they were pressuring me to pay them to run it. And I didn't have, like I said, I was living in a vehicle, right? Like I did not have enough money 
to pay this person a salary. Like I was barely making enough money after all of my expenses to pay myself a salary. And also I'm not going to pay this person a salary when the way that they're functioning inside of the group is making the group die. Like the group is not functional anymore. Right. So basically what happened was, is I left the group around the same time that that article you were reading came out. And this person inside of the group, sort of indirectly accused me of stealing their writing and reproducing it without their permission. And what had actually happened was that a section of the class that was about decolonization. And I live in a, I live in a province where there are very few black people and there is a very large indigenous population. And all of the activism and learning I had done about decolonization was like local to where I lived. And this person was very, very angry that I hadn't included black people in this chapter that I wrote. Um, and I told her, you know, that's not my experience. That's not something I feel comfortable speaking to, but if you would like to write something, you can. And in negotiating and navigating this person to be writing something for me, this person became very aggressive and very demanding. And we never really nailed down the exact terms of what they would be writing or for how much money. And then they made it appear as if I had stolen their writing and published it without their permission, which never happened. Like they never wrote this thing for me to steal it. Um, nor would I do that. Like, that's just not, that's just not the type of person that I am. Um, and what happened as a result of that was the main way that I promoted my business was through writing on two larger blogs both of which were very social justice oriented. And so, you know, one of those blogs ended up writing an article that was like, it was about me, but it didn't talk about me directly. But it was obvious that the person who ran the website was getting a lot of heat from my writing being on there. And, you know, was basically told that I was racist and I was stealing things from black women, which was just like, it was just factually not true. Um, and then she shut down her blog shortly after this. And I think it was because she just couldn't handle the heat of the conflict. And then the other organization that I was working for was run by black women. And I think, and they wanted to do an investigation into what had happened. And at that time, you know, I just really felt like I couldn't trust that process. I was like, I'm not, I'm just not willing to like, what am I going to do? Like hand you all of my emails with this person, like you're the court system and like be found guilty or not of being racist. Like I just, it just really felt like the cards were sort of stacked against me and there was no recovering from, from this. Um, and because I couldn't promote the class, like I, at the same time I had moved onto a, a piece of raw land that had no, no housing or nothing on it. And we had bought a trailer to live on that piece of land, but then we couldn't get it moved up here. And so we ended up, you know, building a cabin in the woods. And is that your, is that your husband at the time or boyfriend or we lived on this piece of land and it was very, very challenging. And it was definitely the most material poverty that I have ever experienced in my life. And I feel that the experience of being publicly shamed shamed and humiliated. And, you know, at that time I used a, they, I used the pronoun they, um, my partner was also not cisgendered and it was wild to see these hundreds of comments coming in, 
misgendering me, misgendering him, like just really attacking me from any angle that felt available to people. And and since then, people have people have apologized to me for participating in this kind of mob. Um, and on the one hand, I appreciate that, and I think that it's good. And on the other hand, it's it's also just kind of like you know uh, the damage has, had been done, you know? So there's, there's sort of, there's no going back. Um, at the same time though, I also feel like I just don't want to live that way anymore. And I think that, I think that I had to go through that in order to truly understand, um, the implications of that ideology and how it functions and the idea that when we make accusations towards somebody, we have to automatically believe the person who is accusing someone. And I think it's a very complex issue because it is true that the burden of proof when somebody is hurt, especially in the court system is so high that it can become really, really difficult to prove that someone has done something terrible. But at the same time, if we don't keep that burden of proof really high, we can create really devastating consequences for people who don't deserve it. And yeah, it's it. I mean, I'm a very different person now after having had experienced all of this. I have a question as an intersection as a trained and educated intersectional feminist and that ideology. (laughs) What was your view on what happened to Kavanaugh and the movement of believe all women? What, What would you say to that? Well, Again, like I think it's I think it's really complicated because I don't actually know the specific Kavanaugh reference that you're talking about, but there are lots of I can imagine what it would be, and there are lots of examples of that in Canada, right? Where yeah. Me Too kind of came to the forefront, accusations were made, people lost their jobs. Um, I think with Me Too, it's very very different when you have somebody in the public eye who has a lot of power culturally, has a lot of mm-hmm. money, and there are you know. Mm-hmm. Tons of people saying that this person has seriously hurt them. I think that that is very, very different than like one person versus another person where those people are, you know, sort of roughly equal in the scheme of power in the world. Um, I don't think that there's really like a good answer for it because, you know, like I said, if you go through the court system, the burden of proof is incredibly high and the process is, is very traumatizing But when we do the flip side of that, where we try to make consequences in community, um, you know, people have killed people because of accusations or because of things that they have done. They've taken they've taken justice into their own hands and felt that that was what the right thing to do was. Um, I just kind of reached a point in my life where I don't really know. I don't I don't I don't pretend to know, like, the, the answers to these things anymore. Yeah, that's that's really insightful of you. I really appreciate that. It is complicated and it's not easy. So, can you tell us what it's like when I don't know if that's the right word, but the mob comes after you, or you just get hit out of left field by you said what hundred people were just saying stuff about you? It was like hundreds of people, and they just it was just like a big pile on. Like what what causes that on a sub? Like what happened? I, I don't. I'm not familiar with that. I've never experienced. I've heard about it, but psychologically what's going on within the ethos of the group and why do people feel free to do that? And it must be horrible. Like what's that like? I think that, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, my friends like Molly and Jay and, and Clementine, it's like, we've definitely talked about this stuff in, in a lot of detail, both in our public work and like personally, like amongst us. Um, And I mean, I think a really big part of the issue is that, 
we live in a capitalist system where we have billionaires who, I mean, it's maybe it's sort of to, to certain crowds of people, it may seem extreme to say this, but the billionaires are, are like a parasite class, right? Like they just are taking and taking and taking and taking as much resources and power, money as they can possibly hoard. And then you have everybody else, regular people who are just living and we have a difficult time, like even me as a person who has that middle-class safety net, you know, and as a person who will eventually have inherited wealth, um, which is like sort of regular middle-class inherited wealth, my parents style inherit some money, it would still be difficult for me to do things like enter the real estate market, right? Like, and because I can't enter the real estate market, that means that I've had habitually unstable housing. So when the average person has poor access to housing, poor mental health, poor social outcomes, because we're working all the time to pay for housing that we don't have any security in, you know, we really get this, the crabs in a bucket thing, right? Where it's like, you put all the crabs in the bucket yeah. and one crab tries to get out, all the other crabs yank it back down into the bucket. Um, and so I think- Jealousy and envy are part of what's going on. Uh, yeah, well. absolutely. Absolutely. Jealousy and envy are a part of what's going on. You know, it's people believing like you don't, you don't deserve your success. Um, I think the other thing that also happened too, with what I was doing was that, you know, now it's very common to be on the internet, to build a following and then to launch a workshop, to have a newsletter, to have this, to have built this sort of online business life. In 2018, none of my peers were doing that. Like none of my peers were running an online business. And like, you know, I was taking classes and learning how to do this stuff. And so I was just taking sort of like really basic understandings of marketing and building an online business and, and taking these from, you know, people who are slightly more normy, as you might say, um, and having some success. And I think now it's become more normal and you still, you still will see people getting attacked for it. Um, but it's not as kind of, it's not as kind of unusual to see that kind of success. I think that people, um, I think it's a normal human thing. Like even amongst my sort of social group, the people in my world who, which is almost everyone at this point of my friends who are online, like all of them have built bigger followings than me. Many of them have published books, have found great success at what they do. And I think for the most part, I'm generally able to be happy for them, to give them money, to support what they do, to really love that they're out there doing it. But there are definitely moments where it's like, I feel uh, not great about the fact that I don't know if that success will ever come for me. And also that I, um, like people literally will keep um, like notes or Excel sheets about different things that people have done wrong so that they can cancel them really well later. Um, it's a terrifying way to live. And it, it chips away at your sense of identity, your sense of self-worth, but also in your sense of hope. And that's definitely happened to me. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing to have experienced. And even now being friends with people who aren't in that world as much, like it's very, very hard to explain to anybody new coming into my life, like how this stuff has impacted me because it's very, very hard to understand if you haven't experienced it yourself. So there was pressure by the group and then everybody in the group felt pressure to cancel you and cut you out of their lives. So you lost your business, you lost your blog, your workshops, your friendships, uh, 
your partners together for social justice. It was like you were left all alone. Is that a fair characterization of what happened? Yes. I would also say though that um, I mean it's hard. I'm it's I'm 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 debating like sort of how to express this out loud, but you know I also gave up. Like I see people in my life who who didn't do that, um, and I think that there's pros and cons to having had given up. I think the most sort of important piece about giving up is that I, I also don't feel like I really had much of a real shot at doing anything differently. You know, at the time I was living in the woods and I was really just focusing on very basic survival. Like it was very like chop wood, carry water, try not to get hypothermia. Um, I lost a massive amount of weight because I was so cold all the time. Um, I Like I was suicidal for uh, many, many, many months, quite seriously. And it was very difficult to be around me. Um, and yeah, I think that, I think that now it's happened to such a degree that people have observed it, either they, it's happened to them or it's happened to someone that they love, or it's happened in front of them so many times that they're starting to see the formula. Um, they're starting to see, cause it's a very formulaic way of speaking about people. Right. And, um, there's a meme account called Cursed Cancellations that does a very good job of like showing what this formula looks like. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's terrible. It's a, it's a terrible thing to have had experienced. And I'm very, very lucky that um, I think I managed to find hope in other ways. Um, but also I managed to just choose to keep living anyways which I think it's very, very difficult when you have people who what they want at their core is to destroy you. They want like they they're they're They would be happy if you killed yourself, you know, and that's a it's a it's a hard thing to have a lot of people feel that way about you. Um, I don't wish it on anybody. I don't wish it on my worst enemy. It was a it was very, very difficult. It's so hateful and. The, the irony is it of it is a, a lot of the social justice groups like you were part of is to, to really help people that are down and out, help people that are hurting. But it's like the exact opposite is manifested through destruction and destruction of the soul. Is It, it just seems like there's a, a, a real high lack of empathy and like punishment and vengeance and vindictiveness. And there's something really uh, ugly about that whole, that whole thing, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think what's what's complex about it is that we live in a world that is very dehumanizing. Um, I think the capitalist system that we live in is dehumanizing. And I, I can kind of understand because I lived in it for a long time. I can understand the impulse to want to change it because I think there are a lot of things about the system in the world that we live in that are unfair. Um, but I also think that we end up in this situation where we spend a lot of time sharing our ideas. Like one of the things I struggled with the most about being canceled was that I was being canceled by a lot of people who had literally done no real activism ever in their lives. Um, and, you know, activism was something I was very committed to throughout all of my twenties. Um, I, I did a lot of things with a lot of different people. And I, I do think that the, there has been social change, not necessarily as a direct result of anything I did, but there has been social change in the world because the world is changing. Um, but it's hard when you have people who are like, they're sharing these memes and sharing these sentiments 
Um, but you know, they've never, they've never grown a garden or lived in a collective house or volunteered with food, not bombs or blockaded something or got arrested for something that they believe in. They just are sharing opinions. They feel like nice opinions to have. <laughs> and, um, you must have been really angry giving your life to this work and then having people that are neophytes or novices that never really did anything are like tearing you down. That's just the, the epitome of irony to me. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I grew up in an urban liberal environment and I now live in a rural remote place around lots of people that are liberal or sort of like more socialist anarchist leaning. Um, but I also am friends with a lot of people and have a lot of important people in my life who are more conservative or they're rednecks or they're whatever, something very different from what I consider myself to be. And it is interesting how sometimes these people who have wildly different opinions from me seem to see me more clearly than the people from my own side. <laughs> Interesting. Um, because they see me automatically as being like a, 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 a very feminist um, person who cares about the world. But then when I'm in my own sort of left-wing bubble, because I have a lot of questions and um, I don't just function like by being told what to do or what to say or what to think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of people in my, in my sort of world where we've been canceled, like a lot of us express this feeling of, of feeling quite politically homeless, right? Because it's like, where, where are our people? What is it that we can even do to like, um, to make, to make change at this point? And I see the people in my life who are doing that and I'm really proud of them. And I think that they're very, very brave and I just don't know. I don't think that I, I could do that personally. Um, you know, I do birth work and I think that birth work is a type of feminist work. And I think it's about caring about women and protecting women. And I think that birth is a very important part of our society because it's how we all get here. Um, and how it continues. Yeah. And how humanity continues existing. And I also think that um, the institution of birth, you know, where I live, we have a 37% C-section rate, which is, probably about three to four times higher than what it should be. Um, obstetrical violence is real and terrible. And I think standing beside women is, is a calling that's deep and important to me. Um, but even in that world of people that I am in, um, you know, I'm surrounded by people who are not vaccinated and I am vaccinated, for example. Right. So it's like, no matter where I am, <laughs> I'm just, no matter where I am, there I am being myself and not always fully meshing <laughs> with the space that I'm in, which I'm okay. I've, I'm okay with that. That's just what it is to be me, I think. So, so you lived in, in the woods alone for quite some time, like, like over a year, just getting healing and perspective. Uh, what was that like and how did you build resilience through that process and, and get perspective? Like what was your day-to-day -day like and, yeah. and the grieving and all that? And, and what did you do to come out and be brave and face the world again? Well, I will say that I wasn't alone. Um, I was living in the woods with a partner at the time 
And I also wasn't alone because I live in a community. I live on, I live in a rural remote island and it is very, it used to be a Finnish fishing community commune. Um, it, we have the oldest co-op in British Columbia. So there's like very deep, like socialist roots in this community. Um, and I think being here was very, very healing for me because when I landed here, I was very guarded and skittish and like very sort of broken and not trusting of people. And um, being in a real community has been very, very healing. It doesn't mean that I haven't had conflict with people. I definitely have, um, which I think conflict is just like a human normal part of life. But it's also um, being in a real, in real life community. So like, for example, when we have Halloween, we all do the same activity together, right? When, when it's the, when it's Christmas, like I don't, I don't personally like Christmas, but I take my daughter to our holiday Christmas party because they give gifts to all the kids and they will call her up by her name and like acknowledge her to the whole community. Right. And I think it's really, I think it's really beautiful. Um, the other thing that also happened is, you know, I was living in the woods and my phone broke and my computer broke and I didn't have enough money to replace them. So I was fully unplugged from the internet. Um, and I was trying different mental health medications and um, went on an SSRI that was absolutely terrible and eventually went off of it. Um, a lot of the teaching that I do now, I teach about plants and mushrooms and mental health. Um, and a lot of that is based on that experience that I had because I did have a very profound spiritual experience because I was out in the woods and I started using, I started microdosing psilocybin mushrooms and I was spending more time in the forest than I was with people, but still having this community experience, which was really, really good. Um, and, you know, there was resident bald eagles, there were resident ravens, and I started to learn like how to mimic their calls and talk to them. Um, I, yeah, we had to carry our water in, we had to do all of our own firewood. Like, I think on the one hand, it was very, very difficult and it was very much a dark night of the soul, but it was also like very beautiful and very moving. Um, and I'm very grateful for that experience because I think it stripped me down to figuring out the essence of who I am as a person. And I'm still rebuilding. I think I'll always be rebuilding from that place. Um, and I really had to ask myself because after I got canceled, I was like, am I a feminist? I don't really know. I don't really know wh what my political beliefs are. Um, and what I ended up asking myself in the end was, what is my role in the village? Like I live in a literal village and what is my role in this village? And being able to figure out the answers to that question allowed me to take steps into becoming the person that I am now, which is in a lot of ways, the same person just without all the woke bullshit. Um, but also it's more, it's more distilled. I have a more clear sense of myself than I ever did before because I'm not. That sounds incredibly healthy. Yeah, I would say so. I, I, I'm sorry, you, you were saying I, 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 there was a connection. I kind of cut you off. Well, just, all I was going to say is that it's more distilled because there's not as much noise. Not as much noise, yes. And the smaller community, you know, sharing together, sharing lives together and dreams and broken dreams and being connected with people <clears throat> without, without an agenda, you know, that's uh, 
just loving people and, and sharing your lives together. That sounds beautiful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love this community and um, it's really interesting because I'm at a point in my life now where I'm considering leaving because I'm a single parent and I need more childcare than what I can get in this community. Um, and it's a very, very strange experience to think about choosing to leave this place. Um, and I feel very grateful to have been here, you know, and it's not, it's not this sort of perfect idyllic thing where everything about it is easy or we all just love each other and get along super well, but we actually are in a real community. And in my experience being in a more social justice driven queer world, you know, I, we joke all the time that it's like you, you form your chosen family at the Thanksgiving potluck and you're not speaking to each other by Christmas. Right. (laughs) It's very, that, that a framing of chosen family gets tossed around so much in this, in this sort of social justice, queer world, especially. And, but the deep bonds of actually having a real community is something that I never experienced until coming to this place. And I'm very, very grateful for everything that it's taught me. I don't know if I would have made it through that experience without being here. I, I have a follow-up on, on that in the sense of uh, just borrowing uh, the term from uh, Jay and Clementine about the nexus of uh, what would you say? Cause you said, Oh, I see the playbook coming and, and you're much more aware of what's going on now. People see what's happening. And uh, you know, you were led like a sheep to the slaughter, not even knowing what was going on, but now this has been playing out a lot. And uh, so a young person or, or any person that's their identities tied up in, in their activism, their relationships or their, their affinity groups that, they they hedge their words. They're afraid to speak the truth because they don't want to get canceled. They they see what happens to other people, or they're in the process of being canceled or have been canceled. It sounds like uh, you look back on your time and uh, you saw other people that have been canceled. They chose a different path, and then you chose one to isolate yourself. And you see the benefits of both of those. What would you say to somebody uh, now that you're out of it and you can look back with 2020 vision? Those that are in it, uh, what 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 kind of a sisterly or motherly advice uh, or friendship advice would you give to somebody whose identity, friendship, perhaps economics, their whole reason for being, their stability, uh, their sense of purpose? What what would you say to them and uh, how how would you help them to to not go through the pain and and be healed and and live a fruitful and victorious life uh, and not drift into what you went through, you know, with the pain that you had? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I would say that I don't, I don't necessarily relate to the idea of sort of not knowing what was going on and being led to the slaughter. I think I did know what was going on. Um, I, I, so I went from doing environmental activism to going to university to then leaving the city and, living more rurally and starting my own business. And during the time that I was in university, um, I got canceled in a couple different ways um, by, I was helping to manage and do some organizing for the universities, um, these different groups that they had and they got, and so there's like an environmental group, a social justice group, one of, there's one about gender, you know, there's all these different groups. 
And the social justice group, like everybody knew that they were notoriously difficult and they were mad because I cut their, some of their funding. All the other groups had stuff that they wanted to do and didn't have enough funding. The social justice group, we knew that they had used a bunch of their funding to buy random stuff so that they didn't lose funding. And then they didn't show up at the budgeting meeting. And so I cut their funding slightly and they just totally came for me and got me fired from my job. And, and I knew having had experienced this, that of the different ways it's possible to be involved in sort of left-wing liberal social change, um, the most difficult is to be in that social justice crowd. And even after having had experienced that, and I still, I think about this now, like why is it that I doubled down at that point? And I think, I think a part of it is that People like to have a playbook and rules. So they're like, if I do X, this will happen, right? Like it's similar to like good girl programming, right? Like if I act like a good girl and I don't speak too loud and I don't this and I don't that, then I'll get a good husband and he pay, he'll blah, 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 you know? And we, it's this programming, right? That we feel like if I behave in a certain way, I will get a certain result. Um, it's the same thing in how we deal with our bosses um, there's like religious stuff that's like this. There's many, many things where like humans yeah. are comforted by like, if this, then this, right. And the social justice world is like, you know, there are tons of rules that are explicitly laid out in listicles and books and different ways that we can be a good person. And I was always conflicted about on the one hand, wanting to be a better person and create a better world, but also knowing, you know, for example, when I was involved with Greenpeace as a teenager, the first big Greenpeace event I ever went to, I remember sitting in this room with a couple hundred people and like we were watching a movie or listening to something and everybody was just like so fervently like engaged. And I remember thinking to myself, because I'm a person who's, who's very much pro-choice and I had seen a lot of documentaries about sort of pro-life brainwashing and I was like, the energy in this room is very, very similar to being in like a pro-life rally or something, right? Where it's like, if you take the words out, the energy of like, we think something is wrong in the world. If we band together, we can change it. And from their perspective, they're like, we're saving babies. We're great people because we're saving babies. And it's the same thing with Greenpeace, right? Where it's like, we're good people because we're saving the whales or the environment. And I read this book around like a couple of years ago around when I was leaving the woods and I keep it with me. It's like a pocket sized book that I keep in my bag and it's by Pima children. And I think it's called practicing peace. And she talks about this, about how like when you're really fervently involved in some type of social justice issue on the left or the right, and you're willing to like have a fist fight with someone in the street over something like, how is this like, this is not peacemaking, right? And at the same time, I don't necessarily think that it's like wrong or bad or even avoidable. Like there are lots of people in my life who are deeply ingrained in the social justice world. And I will have conversations with them and maybe ask questions or point things out that don't make sense to me. But for the most part, I think they have to go through it in order to understand it. They have to come to their own conclusions. Um because it, it takes a lot of bravery and a willingness to think for yourself to let go of this idea that, you know, if I speak this certain way, then I am this certain kind of person. 
Um, and, you know, we're told all the time that the stakes of this is very, very high. The stakes of this are people's lives and the state of the world. And, and on the one hand, I think that there are ways that that is true. And on the other hand, I think interpersonally, like in a given moment, if we're looking at the world that way all the time, it is incredibly exhausting and draining and it stops us from being able to just relate to each other as human beings. So I just try to be patient and relate to people as people. Um, I don't know. One of my absolute most favorite things to do is like talk to people who have wildly different political opinions from me. Like, I think it's really fun at this point in my life. Um, and I've realized that like people are not really that different. You know, I'm like you, I, I love talking to people with different views. I love viewpoint diversity. It's like, what makes you tick? And why, why do you think that way? Why think this way and influence each other and just share. And it used to be like that when I was, when I was your age, you used to be able to share a different opinion and, and not be looked at as evil. You would just talk things through and, Oh, you have a good point. You have a bad point. Oh, that's an interesting point. I don't agree with you and still respect the person. We've lost that. And I'm glad to hear that from you, especially someone who's very left leaning and very strong in, in your convictions that you enjoy talking to people that think differently. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I love talking to people with different opinions and perspectives than me. And I've had a few people in my life who have really like, I had a, I have a friend who is a logger and um, we're not as close now, but we're both, we're both very into politics and we went to go see this political debate for like our local representative. And, um, in Canada, we have more parties than you do in the States. Mm -hmm. We have sort of about four or five main parties, depending on what province you're in. And one of our parties, I always vote NDP, which is like our socialist left-leaning party. But we do have another party called the Green Party, which is very like interested in the environment. And so there's this person speaking for the Green Party about the environment. And he's just going off about climate change. And he's, and to me, I was like, wow, like, I was like, thinking to myself, like, no one like my friend is ever going to vote for this guy because he just sounds like he's just on this really judgmental soapbox. And then we left to go have a beer or whatever. And my friend was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for the green guy. And I was like, <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you're – but this is a this, this is the thing is that I've met people in my life, like one of my roommates who's one of my best friends who he's actually moving out today. Um, but he, he works – on, he works building a pipeline and I have conversations with him all the time about politics where he's checking me around certain social justice things. And he's like, well, have you thought about this? And have you thought about this? And it's like, you know, when I, I like have started to make a habit of trying to make friends with and build relationships with the people that I used to protest. Right. And to, and that has actually given me like a huge amount of hope in people because I am coming to recognize that, in general, I think people do care about the planet that we live on and they do care about each other. And I think that we just have really different ideas about what creates stability and what creates safety. Um, and also it's interesting to talk to people who have different points of views and, and ask them questions and have them ask me questions and, and to really like think through, is this opinion just like something I'm saying because it makes me feel better or does it actually like have some merit to it where it's worth fighting for. Um, at this point, I'm not really super sure what is worth fighting for. 
I went for a walk with my mom recently and I just, she was trying to, she was like trying to rile me up about something she saw on the news. And I just said, I just don't really have it in me to care about anything other than birth. Birth is like my one thing that I care about deeply that I get really mad about sometimes, but I just, I don't want to be angry all the time. It's not sustainable. It's not nice to be around me when I'm angry all the time. <laughs> well, well, Papa, you are a beautiful soul. And I thank you so much for being vulnerable and coming on the show today. Uh, you, you're a fascinating person and uh, congratulations on your, on your, on your child. And uh, is it a boy or girl? She's a girl. She's a girl. Congratulations. And uh, best, best wishes to you and may your uh, birthing uh, work uh, prosper and that you find uh the, the best home for you and your daughter. And uh, I'd just like to give you the last word. If there's anything you want to say, uh, you're going to uh, provide an email to uh, people can contact you and reach out to you. And, uh, but the, any word of exhortation, encouragement and perspectives that you've gleaned over the last uh, decade that might help people that are going through certain things and just a word of encouragement and, and to be able to transmit the hope that you now have. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I think, and I struggle to do this, like myself, but I think, I think it's important to just let everything happen. Right. It's like, I don't know. I feel like I'm a person where I've had, I've lived my life where I've, I've had wildly different opinions or done things from the opposite side of the way I used to do it. Um, in terms of like speaking and my behavior and even my activism. And I think, you know, it's just important to let yourself live and experience things and to learn and to be willing to change your mind. And, um, and also just to understand that, you know, conflict is inevitable and it doesn't necessarily make you a bad person if you're dealing with conflict with people and it doesn't make the other people involved in the conflict necessarily bad people. Um, I think curiosity is important and patience is important. And, I think also if we can find it fun is important too. <laughs> oh, well, wonderful. Well, th thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for your time today. And we really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. You take care.